Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's president and founder. Benjamin Schwartz, our assistant producer, is here at the controls. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on November 25th, 2019. And Ronaldo, speaking of the purpose of the World Business Academy, I think we might have some interesting things to talk about on the show today. What do we ever? Um, yeah, you know, um, well, we're going to talk about this. We did a show last week. So this is the second half hour show for November. So it's only be half an hour. And um, just um, are we going to do a December show in a couple of weeks? I think we should. I think we'll have the chance to do at least yeah, one let's do December one show. December show, one mid-December. And then, then we'll, we'll have to live a the after Christmas, all. the end of the end of December off. So we'll have a, a little bit of a break for the holidays, we'll, and, then and then we'll, we'll come back January. in the second half of January. Excellent. Okay, so. Um, with that in mind, uh, we'll do an update on a lot of the normal economic stuff, which nothing has changed dramatically since uh, last week in terms of the economics. I think, if anything, um, much of what we've been talking about on this show for the last year and a half is continuing to just play itself out and, mm -hmm. and more people becoming aware of it. But I think um, what we wanted to do today was to tackle the biggest single issue facing uh, the business and, and the business community, but the business community and society both. And that is the role of capitalism in our society. And um, this is such an enormous topic, um, you know, that it's, it's I, I'm, I'm going to report on what Mark Benioff, uh, the CEO, co-founder of Salesforce, uh, uh, has said recently, which I think is very moving. I'm going to reference an, just a tremendous article that came out uh, a couple of days ago uh, in Time magazine titled, How America's Elites Lost Their Grip. I'm going to talk about... Other billionaires I know, like uh, Mike Bloomberg, who's now running for president, and uh, Ray Dalio, who I don't know but know of, and he knows of me because of our mutual interest in Just Capital, and uh, Paul Tudor Jones, obviously because of our involvement together as partners in Just Capital. So there's a number of billionaires that I know really well, and, and, and I've been tuned into, and there's others, by the way, I haven't mentioned. Um, so I've been tuned into this conversation now for about six months, and I really want to share with people what the billionaire class is the smart ones are saying to each other and then share with you what they're saying in public because it's remarkably consistent. But before I do that, we had a, a request from one of our regular listeners, uh, John A., we won't give his last name, but John A., asked us specifically when we talked about some of these um, innovative programs in the last few shows that um, were being proposed to reform the way our political and economic system would work to reduce the in income inequality, to start to reduce the misallocation of resources towards the rich and towards the military and back into things like childhood education and reducing student debt or eliminating it, a uh, uh, fair system of taxation, et cetera, et cetera. John asked, why is it, have we mentioned Elizabeth Warren on several occasions in the context of those changes? And why don't we ever mention Bernie Sanders? So let me just go on record as saying, I think Bernie's great. 
I'm a big fan of Bernie. Uh, I, I actually believe that if Bernie had not been improperly stopped by the official centrist portion of the Democratic Party uh, four years ago, he would have gotten the nomination and he would have beat Hillary in the, in the primaries as he was doing, and he would have beat Trump in the general election, and we wouldn't be sitting with Trump today as president. Um, having said that, the reason I'm not quoting Bernie much these days is because Bernie hasn't given me anything new to quote in four years. And as much as I like him, everything that Bernie is saying today is something Bernie said four years ago. And it's also um, problematic for me that Bernie actually believes that you cannot fix the current system. You have to, you have to basically tear it down. And I don't think that's prudent for a whole bunch of reasons. I don't think we're capable of tearing it down, frankly. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with being a democratic socialist. I think it works brilliantly in Europe and frankly could work brilliantly in the U.S. So there's nothing even against that. And I would be quick to point out that the uh, number of people who subscribe to being democratic socialists in America now has risen from 5,000 about four or five years ago to somewhere in the neighborhood of about mm, 20,000 right now. I think it's actually more like 50. Down to up to 50? Yeah, it's, it's been it, rising. It increased by a factor of tenfold. Yeah. So, last. And one thing, other thing to say about Bernie is that he's been talking about these same ideas. Yes, they haven't changed much in the last four years, but he was talking about these things 20 years ago, yeah, Medicare but, for all. And now all of us are talking about them. Yeah. And, and the, four years ago, these weren't even considered ideas that were worth talking about. And I give Bernie tremendous credit for, for raising that conversation. But at the end of the day, Bernie is long on philosophy. He is a visionary. He's an extremely principled human being, but he's a little short on details from my, from my experience. And, and so when I talk about things, and I credit someone with, say, Elizabeth Warren for some of her ideas, it's because there's enough substance there I can comment on it. I mean, do I believe that we should be running the country for the benefit of the middle class rather than the billionaire class, like Bernie says? Absolutely. Of course we should. Do I believe that our program, our, our economy, and our, our basically a way of taxation is fundamentally broken, like Bernie says? Absolutely. But then when you got to talk about how to fix it. You know, for all the billionaires that I know who are petrified about Elizabeth Warren getting the nod, no one's petrified about Bernie getting it, by the way. Do you think it's because they don't think that he's a really viable candidate? Yes, that's right. They don't think Bernie will make it in the stretch. And they think that Elizabeth Warren is so smart and so um, nuanced that she could be the nominee. Mm -hmm. And if she were, they're ready to start jumping out of tall buildings. And, <laughs> and for all the language, the lip service that I hear, that that's not because they don't like what she's saying for them personally. It's because they think it would destroy the system if there was, for example, a 2% wealth tax on every dollar over $50 million. I'm, I mean, I don't want to say anybody who said that to my face is not telling the truth. I think they probably believe it. But I, I think the individual self-interest that is on the line with uh, the Warren candidacy, because she will change the system fundamentally, mm -hmm. just like she changed consumer protection and changed it radically for the good. Uh, you know, to raise $12 billion in the first couple of years just by eliminating the cheating that was going on in the fine print and contracts that were abusing consumers. And, you know, it'd be over $50 billion today if Trump had to close it down. So, so she's, she's, a, she's a person who's in, she's a mechanic. She's an extremely talented mechanic, and she understands how to get things done. And that scares them on Wall Street because they think if she gets elected, she will actually get it done. Or at least some of it done. Lot, enough to, enough, enough that it would to cause make a concern. difference. And even though they might say, well, I wouldn't mind paying two cents on the first dollar after 50 million. But gee, it would destroy the system if I had to liquidate all my assets to do that. 
I don't think there's a billionaire alive, actually, I don't think there's anybody who has over 50 million in net worth alive, who can't scrape up two cents from somewhere fairly liquid. I don't think you're going to have to sell your grandmother's tiara. <laughs> you're going to get that money from petty cash. I mean, two cents on the dollar above 50 million is petty cash. Right? I mean, it's, 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 it's preposterous. Well, it's hard for me to conceptualize personally. No, but, but, <laughs> but just think of it. It's, it's, it yeah. You're at 50 million already, mm -hmm. and now at 50 million and one dollar, you got to keep 98 cents and you only put in two cents back. Mm -hmm. How can that be excessive? And how can you not have that in petty cash? Or to state it another way, if you had your whole 50 million in something as terrible as current treasury bonds, you, you'd be making that 2%, that 2 cents That's true. That's every true. hour. That's true. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's just crazy. And um, that's unfortunate, but people are concerned that their, their world would literally be turned upside down. And that's what Benioff says needs to happen. So I'm going to switch to Benioff. But John, thanks for writing in. I hope that explains our position to you. A uh, lot of respect for Bernie. Glad he's out there. Um, I'm hoping at some point soon he decides to combine with Elizabeth and because the two of them together would pull probably 52% of the Democratic electorate in the primaries. And that would be impressive for people to see instead of all this horse racing going on about who's going to take the middle when the middle isn't worth much in my humble opinion. Uh, I'd much rather have the 4 million blacks who didn't show up in 2016. Uh, it's probably a much bigger number now. I'd much rather have the uh, 8 million voters who came of age since 2016 to vote. Uh, I'd like to get them excited and get them out. And that, that would be our base. Get those people to the polls and you won't have to worry about Trump's base because they're going to, Trump's base is going to turn out in either event. But I do think that Bernie hanging in this long when he cannot be, in my humble opinion, the nominee for a bunch of reasons. Not the least is his heart, by the way. Come on, the guy had a heart attack. Mm -hmm. and he's a pretty old guy. And he's said what he's had to say. His, we owe him a debt of gratitude. I love hearing from him. But at the end of the day, Bernie is not going to be elected president of the United States of America. And Elizabeth could be. And to me, if I were Bernie, I'd go, you know, if I can't make it, the second best thing would be having Elizabeth in there. So I hope at some point soon he'll do that because it will take a lot of pressure off this race. And you'll see less inclination for billionaires like, well, first you had Tom Steyer, who fortunately is not catching fire because he basically, I think, did a terrible thing and turned on his people who supported him for doing uh, impeachment and tried to turn it into a political movement. So I'm glad he's just, you know, he's basically buying his way to the debate stage, but he's mm -hmm. not going any further. I am extremely displeased with um, uh, Bloomberg that he would choose to run. Uh, if he had put the $30 million he put into ads this weekend into supporting his favorite mainstream candidate that's already been in the race, he would have done a lot of good. Or frankly, just run $30 million worth of attack ads on Trump. I'm happy with that. But to get in the race this late, to buy it? No. Sorry, Mike. I like you. I respect you. I've had the good fortune yeah. to meet you a couple times. I really hope you get out sooner rather than later. Now, with regard to... Uh, the third person that came in recently, Patrick Duvall, I don't know what he's thinking, and I wish to heck he would decide to get out quickly. That said, let me now turn to what Mark Benioff said. Now, Mark Benioff, co-CEO of Salesforce, co-founder, um, and I'm going to quote, he said, capitalism as we know it is dead, close quote. That's a very strong statement. He said, capitalism, by that I mean, quote, what has been practiced in recent decades with its obsession on maximizing profits for share owners, has also led to horrifying inequality. Globally, the 26 richest people in the world now have as much wealth as the poorest 3.8 billion people. Wow. 26 people are as rich as 3.8 billion. That's fundamentally wrong. And the relentless spewing of carbon emissions, which is pushing the planet toward catastrophic climate change. I'm still quoting Benioff. 
In the United States, income inequality has reached its highest level in the least in at least 50 years. With the top one-tenth of one percent, people like me, he said, owning roughly 20% of the wealth while many Americans cannot afford to pay for a $400 emergency. It is no wonder that support for capitalism has dropped, especially among young people. So what is his, what is his prescription? He says, we have to change our way of thinking. Yes, profits are important, he says, but so is society. And if our quest for greater profit leaves our world worse off than before, all we have taught our children is the power of greed. It's time for a new capitalism a more fair, equal, and sustainable capitalism that actually works for everyone, where businesses, including tech companies, don't just take from society, but truly give back and have a positive impact, close quote. Mark Benioff, I think it's wonderful that you're willing to say it. I know you live it. I have tremendous respect for you. Uh, You're living proof that daily meditation can be a very successful business tool as well as a great way to stay centered. Uh, And anybody wants, you can see the article I'm quoting from. It was in the New York Times. Uh, recently, I think uh, about November, no, October 14th, and there's one in Politico that was in recently, I guess is about uh, 19th? It was November? on the 20th. 20th? Uh, yeah, it was a, fe- a sort of a feature on Benioff. And then the the Time Magazine story, we talked about how American lights lost their grip. All three of these are a great reader for anybody who's interested in the question. So what do we do? Well, Ray Dalio says, as recently as three, four months ago, there's a 65% chance that the way capitalism will die is suddenly end with violence. 65% chance, and that number's going up. That's unacceptably high. Anybody listening to these words that thinks that they want to live in a world where there's a 65% chance bullets are going to fly because the system, the economics of the system have become so abusive that in its collapse, in its wake, there will be violence. I think people have got to stop and look at that. Now, uh, there was a recent article that talked about that. I think it was actually the one in um, Time Magazine. And it said, you know, the Gilded Age gave way to the age of Roosevelt, where the abuses of the Great Gatsby's led to the reforms of the FDRs. And um, it, we, maybe we're coming through that. I, I had the good fortune on Sunday of last week, I, was, uh, I had a chance to meet a very famous Indian guru. Um, he's, he's known affectionately as Babaji. And um, we were talking, uh, and one of the things he volunteered is that he believes that 2020 is the year in which it's going to break wide open, that what we're all hoping for in the way of a massive change is going to come through in 2020. Uh, We were not able to discuss that in the context of an election because it wasn't that kind of conversation. Um, It was more about metaphysics and philosophy Mm -hmm. and what he felt was happening in the world around us. But, But at the end of the day, I think we are coming to a crescendo. Uh, I think uh, once Trump has been impeached, whether he's removed or not, uh, clearly the question on people's minds will be in 2020, are you willing to have a criminal president or uh, are you going to choose for something better for yourself and your children and your grandchildren and your neighbors? And um, once people make that choice, it will be irreversible. Mm -hmm. So if they choose Trump, that would be the last step removed from his becoming king and he will become a full autocrat and he'll stay in power till he can give the kingdom to his daughter and you know he'll he, he believes in the divine right of kings and he thinks he is one so that will be the end of our form of, of, of government if we do obtain a break in this terrible crisis we're going through and this terrible terrible journey of this long day's journey into night uh it may be that we well we would we would recover a new sense of our own political dynamism and our own ability to politically control our fate. And from that perspective, armed with people like Dalio, 
who says capitalism must be reformed or it will die ugly, like Benioff, who says it must be reformed because it's smarter and, by the way, it's the only moral thing to do, like Bloomberg, who says it and includes, says he'd be more than happy to pay more taxes, like Bill Gates, who said he'd be willing to he'd pay $10 billion in tax, he'd be happy to pay another $10 billion, uh, in tax if that would help the situation. And all of them, Benioff, uh, Bloomberg, they all realize that the, the tax rate is way too low. It, you know, it used to be 70% in the days of the Republican President Eisenhower, and now it's down to, in effect, zero if you're Fred Smith running yeah. FedEx. Um, so the, the, even the, the top tax rate is something around 39. 30, 39, and it's, the, yeah, yeah. it's in... And effective tax, tax rate's closer to zero yeah. for most of yeah, those I mean, people. Amazon doesn't pay much, hadn't yeah. paid in tax last year, I don't think. Uh, Fred Smith pays none at FedEx. I mean, it's, it's, the, the code has been so badly abused, it requires a radical restructuring. So let me turn now to FDR, because he faced the same thing when he was elected. Mm -hmm. first time. And here's what he observed in his State of the Union uh, speech in, in 1944, which is interesting because he'd had a time at that point to go through um, three years of war. He'd gone through the transition of the economy from a peacetime to a wartime footing, was already beginning to plan the mm -hmm. post-wartime footing. To and I'll just point out that was his 11th uh, State of the Union address. Okay. And he'd also gone through a major technological achievement. He knew what they were working on in Alamogoro, Mexico. He knew about Fat Boy. He, mm -hmm. he, he knew what was waiting for Japan if, if they chose to use the weapon. He was not alive when they used it, but he, he knew what was coming. So he had a perspective. Very few people do. And remember, he was a polio victim from his, from his earliest years and uh, ran actually for the White House in a wheelchair. Most people didn't, he was never allowed to see people, no one saw him in the wheelchair, but he carefully disguised that fact, but he, he had to live with that. And I think it gave him a sense of compassion, which would not have come from the silver spoon he was born with, but came, it came out of something much bigger, I think. And I think was partially influenced by what Teddy Roosevelt had done in trust busting. So here's what he said, and I wanna quote him in, in 1944 towards the end of his life. We have come to a clear realization of the fact that true individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and independence. Necessitous men are not free men. People who are hungry and out of a job are the stuff of which dictatorships are made. In our day, these economic truths have become accepted as self-evident. We have accepted, so to speak, a second bill of rights under which a new basis of security and prosperity can be established for all, regardless of station, race, or creed. And then he goes on to list what these Bill of Rights are. I'm going to do it, and then we'll quote, close with a, one final quote with them afterwards. Here's what he wrote. The right to a useful and remunerative job in the industries or shops or farms or mines of the nation. We still have that right, and we still need it. The right to earn enough to provide adequate food, clothing, and recreation. We desperately need that. The right of every farmer to raise and sell his products at a return which will give him and his family a decent living. The right of every businessman, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad. Boy, do we need that now. The right of every family to a decent home. Do we ever need that now? The right to adequate medical care and the opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. The right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age, sickness, accident, and unemployment. The right to a good education. This was his new Bill of Rights. And somewhere we stopped remembering that that's the promise he made to us. Mm -hmm. And we traded it in for what has become an unequal system, which is now on the verge of collapse. He went on to say, quote, all of these rights spell security. And after this war is won, referring to World War II, we must be prepared to move forward. 
in the implementation of these rights to new goals of human happiness and well-being. America's own rightful place in the world depends in large part upon how fully these and similar rights have been carried into practice for our citizens. For unless there is security here at home, there cannot be lasting peace in the world. You know, all these years later, you couldn't say it any better. I mean, and it's funny because this this sounds exactly like what we need to do now. Exactly. All of these things, we, we, we have forgotten them. I think that's a really good characterization. It's like they've been forgotten in the last 30 years. Yeah, well, I think and forgotten they, is a generous term. I think that... Um, rejected, maybe? Well, I think um, what Benioff said about greed is correct. Uh-huh. I, I think that what happened is after World War II, we created so much wealth so fast for so many, mm-hmm. particularly ourselves, that we became satiated. We, we became saturated with, with, with the expectation of material well-being, and we chased it like a false god, mm-hmm. uh, the god of materialism. And as a result, we lost our way and we got to be less and less aware of the crises around us because we perceived that they didn't affect us behind our white picket fence. Mm-hmm. So we thought everybody could live in Levittown after World War II, and we went about building houses for everybody. Except not everybody. Say with me, except not everybody in a couple of categories. Not everybody in that case would have included some of the black people, particularly people of color in the South. It would also have included a lot of people who had not served in the war, nor had an acceptable reason not to. They were left out initially, although they were ultimately included in the but, 50s. But Levittown was specifically not open to African Americans. I'm saying, yes. Yeah. yeah no, and, 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 and that was. And those ideal little utopian. Yeah, but but Levittown was, Levittown yeah. was just the first yeah. one. And right. the, when I use Levittown, I'm using it as an example of suburban sprawl. The, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, and that suburban sprawl did create middle America as we mm-hmm. know it now. And it created this incredible lifestyle. I mean, we, we, we were so wealthy for so long, we forgot that we had to keep earning it. Mm-hmm. And so I think the message of today's story is, it is true, as Benioff, Dalio, Bloomberg, Paul Tudor Jones, all of them. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. As they all have observed, we absolutely must reform capitalism or it will die. And I think Dalio's right. It will die ugly. So if we don't want to see that happen, for whatever reason, let's say you've done well in the system, you don't want to see everything thrown up in the air, and you don't want to see civil unrest to the point where your personal stake is compromised. You, you don't want to see infrastructure so bad that bridges keep falling down, roads keep getting not paved, trains keep going slower, and we continue to deteriorate into a third world country, which is what we've been doing for the last 20 years. Um, you, you don't want to see your children so admired in debt that you can't get them out of it and they can't get themselves out, which is a new form of indentured servitude. Um, you don't want to see people who are one illness away from homelessness. Mm-hmm. And let's just go right to homelessness. It's intolerable, the level of homelessness we have in this country. It's really intolerable. And for many of you who don't know some of the work we've been writing and talking about here at the Academy for many years, One of the topics we pulled out off the shelf, I'm going to say at least 10, 12 years ago, we called um, um, Heaven on Earth. And I I think I wrote a paper, I know I gave several speeches on it, in which people said to me, well, what constitutes Heaven on Earth? What would make this Heaven on Earth? And I said, it it doesn't take that much, actually. And I'm going to list what it takes. And I believe that every sentient being who hears these words, who's not afraid, afraid somehow, if I give it to the other guy, I'll have less for me. 
zero-sum thinking is completely an error. Two plus two is five. Mm -hmm. So when I give more in the way, for example, of, of minimum wage, it actually makes for a stronger economy. I do better too. So, and that's been proven time and time again. Love is not a pie. Yeah, love is not a pie. <laughs> love is a commitment. <laughs> anyway, my point of this story is, here's what it takes if you really want to create heaven on earth. And all of this is possible today with today's resources. Number one, by right of the fact you were born a human being on the planet earth in the year 2019 or, or before, you should be entitled to an adequate nutrition. No one should be starving, particularly not babies in Yemen or any other developing area. And certainly not babies in America, because many do go hungry. Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a terrible problem that people are not willing to look at in terms of the lack of nutrition for so many of our children. I mean, it's, it's nutritional deficiencies are rampant in America today for children. Number two, every person born should, has the right to adequate medical care. No one should be required to have to pay to be well. Uh, that should be included in your dues, quote unquote, for society. If you're a taxpayer, it comes out of your taxes. If you're not a taxpayer, it comes out of what the state provides so that you don't end up on the public dole because no one should be allowed to get sick and die just because they couldn't afford a doctor. Mm -hmm. Number three, everybody should have adequate clothing. Doesn't mean you should have the right to look uh, in, in $10,000 dresses, but everybody should have adequate clothing. Everybody has the right to adequate shelter. You should not be, no one should be living on the street, period. It's unacceptable. It's morally reprehensible. Um, everybody should have the right to adequate level of education, non-gender biased, and, and as, a, as is appropriate to what part of the world you live in. Everybody should be free of violence. That would be domestic violence. So domestic abuse, uh, it'd be free from the domestic violence called getting shot by a gun for no good reason. It would be called to be free from uh, someone blowing up the subway you're on. So that's all forms of domestic violence, but it also collective violence. There should be no war, period. Uh, our friend Joe, White, Professor White has been trying to get this movement going for, can we just have one year without war? You know, we're up to a month already. Can we make it a year? And that month, by the way, folks, happens every year at the time of the, every time there's an Olympics, every four years, um, by agreement of all the nations who participate in the Olympics, they agree not to have a war for that one month. And then it goes I back. Think now it's up to two because of the Special Olympics. Yeah. I, I, well, I don't yeah. know if they got there, but I heard it was trying to get the two. That's, yeah. So and why Joe not wants to get it to 12. It to 12. What a 12. concept. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the point is institutional violence, war, is so obsolete. I mean, it's so yesterday. It's so crazy. Nobody wins but the guys and women who make armaments uh, or are autocrats themselves. So those are some of the things we could produce. I, I left out clean water. Well, and I also left out, um, which is you have a complete legal right to that, and a legal right, frankly, to, um, to be free from the restraints. I would say the restraints of free speech. Uh, I think everybody is entitled to be able to speak their mind but certainly as to freedom of artistic expression. So for those countries which don't yet believe in free speech, of which there are many, billions of people live in those countries, uh, I would say, you know, it's a basic human right to be able to speak your mind and you need to have a government that allows it. If that's too much for everybody to sign on today, mm -hmm. okay, I'll accept that at least we should have artistic free expression. Well, yeah, and at least let's have free, you know, clean air, clean water, good food and the ability to have access to all of these things. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and, and, and so when you do those freedoms, some of the things that you start to unhook mm -hmm. are the drugs. 
we got to make it so that big pharma doesn't keep getting richer and richer by convincing us that we're sicker and sicker mm -hmm. in order to drive our prices of the medical system in this country, for example, to more than twice what the nearest competitor is. And we've got, we're, we're by far the like 27th in the world in outcomes. But but I think that, um, I like what Benioff said to go back to him about Facebook, why he wants to split up Facebook. He, he basically believes that they're so ir irresponsible because, quote, it's addictive. It's not good for you. They're trying to hook your kids, close quote. Well, that's true. And in this day and age, you really can't have freedom of communications unless there are some ground rules by which communications occur. Mm -hmm. And in an era when we can alter a videotape so it looks like it's Obama talking even though it's Trump's words or vice versa, it's, that's an unacceptable rule, an unacceptable reality. And the economic system has to support for its own sake, which is what Benioff's point is, and Dalio's point, and Bloomberg's point, and Tudor Jones, and Bill Gates. They're all making the same point, which is in order for the commerce system to work well, for capitalism or whatever it is that we call what we do then, in order for it to work well, people have to believe in it and it has to work for everybody. It can't just work for a favored few. And what I think the purpose of the show is, is to not only make the case that that's, don't feel like you are being left liberal or a social Democrat just because you believe in what I just said, because frankly, everything I just said, in effect, is built in, it's baked into the Bill of Rights. And all I'm saying is it ought to be a universal Bill of Rights. Right. And well, and it goes very closely back to this economic Bill of Rights from FDR back Correct. in 44. So it's just sort of interesting. I was, I was looking at, I was checking off among these rights and uh, most of them are included in your heaven on earth. Yeah. And, um, you know, and Benioff talks about, he uses a um, Hawaiian analogy, which I'll end with. He said it's, um, it's like uh, Ohana. If you think of, Ohana's the Hawaiian word for family. If you think of everybody as your family, no matter where in the world they live, it's really easy to see what you would do. Mm -hmm. There would be no homeless. There'd be no children dying of hunger. There'd be nobody mm -hmm. starving. There'd be, you know, on and on and on. So I guess it's time for us to do that. And, yeah. and, and I'll, I'll end now with what Benioff said. The idea of that, by the way, also is in direct opposition to the othering that's been going on and the, the, the putting up of boundaries and demonizing of, quotes, people who aren't like us, you know, it, it, which is the current rhetoric. Yeah, although, you know, I think that's, that, that, that's maybe misplaced too because it turns out there is an us and a them. And if you were alive in 1860 and you, were, you had a brother and he wanted to be a Confederate and you wanted to be in the Army of the North, um, and this happened, as you know, many, in many families, you could still love your brother but you can recognize that Johnny Reb is not the same as a Union soldier. And I think we're at a place in time where we've got to stop thinking that Johnny Reb and Union soldiers mm -hmm. are the same thing, because they're not. And, and my, my fondest hope, I can't believe whatever happened in my lifetime, but I would love to see those states which don't believe in the rights I just listed, I think they should form their own country, and we should wish them well. And they can, they can live their lives and do what they want. I believe their country would collapse into chaos, and ours would prosper unbelievably after they left. But I don't think um, that we should hold them because uh, we have to be willing to learn as we go along what Benioff calls um, cultivating the, the, uh, the lifelong journey of Shoshin, which is the Zen Buddhist concept of beginner's mind. Well, my beginner's mind tells me it's time to end for today, but it also tells me it's time for us to begin paying attention to each other through shows like this and hopefully helping each other preserve our very few resources that we have, relatively speaking, and to build a better world for everybody, knowing that we win 
twice as much as anything that we possibly could be cost. And with that, I thank you all. I wish you a happy Thanksgiving to you too, Christy. Thank you. Benjamin, wish you a happy Thanksgiving. You let's, too. Let's, you be, let's be grateful about the fact that so many people like Optimus Daily. Yes. And they listen to this show, then they balance it with a free subscription to Optimus Daily. I think that's a good combination. <laughs> reality and, uh, and joy. So thank you with everybody for tuning in. Enjoy reality. Enjoy joy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.